You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. At this time, we ask that you turn off all cell phones. Unless, of course, you're using them to listen to this podcast, in which case, please keep it on. And please refrain from any flash photography, as it is dangerous to the performers of this podcast. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square. Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. Ho, 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 ye of little faith. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been so long. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Other oh than to start this episode with a... Oh, shoot. What? I thought I was going to rhyme something and do a little song and it was going to be amazing. I thought you were going to say with a tune. Oh, that would have been perfect. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, like, I was, like, waiting for it. And then I was like, oh, she's she I went eight. Mm. <laughs> that would have been so good. <laughs> this is why people write in pairs. <laughs> Welcome. What's up, theater geeks? Oh, it's been so long, my friends. It's, it's been a long time. It's been so long. You know, hey, listen. have left you, left you. Without a dope beat to step two. <laughs> Wow. That was good. I took it back. You did. See, you're like winning this episode. Oh, I never win. You do. You can sing. I can't sing. Oh, so. okay. There you go. Yeah. So I'll just sing someone else's words from now on. And then we're golden. Everybody wins. So we have been both busy and also out of town. Yeah. And it's that time of year, May and June, yeah. where just everything gets a little nuts. Yeah. So we've been gone, and we're sorry, but now we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hi. <laughs> so you've stumbled upon Theater Geeks Anonymous, where we talk about Broadway flops, scandals, and new works. Who fails, who sues, we tell their story. We're going to tell it. Are, Ebony's telling t- it tonight. I'm telling it today. So nobody has guessed our theme. <laughs> I think they just don't care. The season's almost over. (laughs) Should we just tell them? Let's just tell them. Okay. So (laughs) the first couple of episodes was Carolee? No, it was Joshua Henry. Yeah. The second set of episodes was Carolee. Yes. The third was Andrew Lloyd Webber? Yes. The fourth was. It was, wasn't it? I think so. I don't remember what we did. uh, George Hearn? Yes, it was George Hearn. That's who it was. The fifth couple of episodes was Bernadette. I think I might be out of order. Could be. It doesn't matter. Hey, listen, it doesn't. We did it doesn't George matter Hearn, because though. none of y'all cared. You, did, you didn't know. You didn't guess. We thought we'd throw you a game and you, you'd come you don't back. Get, you don't get an old Starbucks gift card. Or a three-layer lemon meringue cake. You get Nothing. Nothing. We you get love you, you get you me get. disappointed, shaking my head. <laughs> <laughs> we still love you, but I mean, hey, no look, prizes. you've stuck with us. Yeah, but let's do a little better next season. 
we'll come up with something a little, maybe a little more fun, a little more challenging, a little well, less maybe challenging. Maybe we'll do like an actual, I mean. I don't know. I don't think that was that challenging because we didn't do that many Well, it'd be nice if we per... got some feedback. <laughs> we, I mean, on Twitter we do. Oh, well, and I don't, I don't hear, I hear crickets. No, you got that girl who said she loved our intermission. Oh, that's right. That was really nice. Amber? Amber. I think it was Amber. Shout out to Amber. Woo, Thanks, woo. Amber. She replied or like commented on one of the posts that we had and she was like, intermission sods are my favorite, <laughs> which is really nice. That's really nice. <laughs> okay. Hey, okay, what's today? So this month, you guys, we, or not this month, but this set, we had done Stephen Schwartz. Mm -hmm. I did Rags, mm -hmm. which was the last one we posted. Yes. Or did we post it? fairly certain we posted it maybe no we didn't because i wanted to keep them as a set okay so i did rags which we'll post next if it hasn't posted already right. it may have posted i'm going to check that I'm out actually right now sure. while i'm talking to you because okay. it'll be super easy to find out yeah i'm not totally sure it's right possible it's it's hecka possible yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so today's episode is Working. Working. Nine to five. What a way to make a living. <laughs> it's, it's a different show. I mean, uh, 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 don't get disappointed because that song's not in there, you it's guys. It's not. There was a nine to five musical mm -hmm. with Dolly Parton. Yeah. Was, was that Years a success? later. Um, I think it ran for a while. It would not be considered a Theater Geeks Anonymous show. Okay. I think. I'm fairly certain. Okay. Haven't done the research. I don't oh, know. I <laughs> so, okay. Working. Oh, wait. You know what? What? I did not post rags. Okay, so rags is coming. I'm going to post it tonight. Awesome. Because it's ready. Yeah. It, oh, I've great. just been waiting for this pair. Oh, okay. So it's going to post tonight. Awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, working... Like I said, Stephen Schwartz musical. The source material for the musical working was the nonfiction book by oral historian Studs Terkel. Uh, the original book was called Working. People talk about what they do all day and how they feel about what they do. And I was, am riveted. <laughs> and it was published in 1974. I feel like I'd watch that documentary. Yeah, Would totally. I read the book? I don't know. But I would definitely watch a documentary. Well, it sounds dry. It sounds, it's like an interesting yeah. idea to right. take that book and turn it into a musical. Yeah. So, Stephen Schwartz, I'd like to pick your brain about it because it's one not, of his two favorite shows that I, he ever I know. Wrote. I, I read that. Yeah. I think it's amazing, though, that he even got the idea from that title. <laughs> I know. I mean, neither of us have read the book. No, that's so true. So it could be like the way, because uh, from what I read, like Studs is a very well-respected. Yeah, I've heard oh, his name before. He's, he's done other stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's passed. So he was a very well-respected author. Mm -hmm. So you I can't mean, judge a book by its cover. No, you can't. So this could or be quite exciting and <laughs> wonderful. I don't know. Working. Uh, working. Yeah. Jobs. That we show you what we do. Yeah. I don't remember what the title was. What was the title? Working people talk about what they do all day and how they feel about what they do. I mean, it's long. <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Working people talk about what they do all day and why they like it. It's, <laughs> it's not like, even no. No, I know. It's <laughs> even longer than that. I can't remember it all. I remembered part of it. It's just too long to remember. It's very long. Unless you are looking at it and reading it. Right, which is what I was doing. I know. I not, clearly. <laughs> Working people tell you what they do all day and why they like it. It's one of like, um, like a Maury Povich episode or like a, a Donahue where like more at the Donahue, commercial break. Yeah, probably more Donahue. Was like Jerry Springer. Yeah, like is or this is. your father? He's still on. It is. Oh, that's right. But uh, yeah, it's like Donahue, like right before the commercial break. Yeah. Working people, at, after the break, working people talk about what they do all day and why they enjoy it. Yeah. And now the commercial that break. Actually, I would also, I would read a book about why they enjoy it. I That book I would read. Why did, because, why did it was the actual title? <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> Working people talk about what they do all day and how they feel about what they oh, do. How they feel about it. <laughs> See, it's not even like a committal. It's like no, how it's they feel about how it. How they feel about it. Mm -hmm. Period. Yeah. Like not not an exclamation point. How no. they really enjoy what they yeah, do. No, no, no. How they feel, how they about, feel it. about it. Hey, listen. 
I get to hear it all the time when I'm working next to like coworkers. Like when I used to work in like debt collections. Yeah. Oh, when you, no. who works at a restaurant, you know, your coworkers are constantly talking about their jobs and how they feel about yeah, it. Yeah. It's not really ever very positive though. <laughs> I guess it depends on like where you work. That's true. But yeah, I, I mean, I would. So like. I've only had one job ever where all my coworkers around me, like, we were all happy. Yeah. And that was when uh, when I worked for um, this woman who was in not this last Cats, but, like, the longest running Cats. Okay. I worked for her uh, at a not-for-profit, and she's, like, the best boss. Cool. The greatest lady. And everyone loved working for her. Yeah. And the people that work for her now seem to also still love working for nice. her. Nice. But that's literally the only person I've ever worked for where I knew, like, everybody was happy. Okay. It's rare. It's very rare. I don't know. The thing is, I think you can be happy, but not necessarily all of the time. There are always right. going to be bits and pieces of the job yeah, that you're, if you're just a grind. Because it's work. Yeah. 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 Okay, so... According to Wikipedia, Working is a book which investigates the meaning of work for different people under different circumstances. <laughs> I was going to cut it. I took a deep breath. I'm sorry. I was just going to be like, like different demographics, different genders, yeah, all of it the is, above. It is all of okay, it. That yep, is yep. actually kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, showing it can vary in, in importance. The mm-hmm. book also reflects Turkle's general idea that work can be difficult but still provides meaning for workers. Okay. It is an exploration of what makes work meaningful for people in all walks of life. Uh, from Lovin from Lovin Al, the parking valet, Dolores the waitress, the fireman to the business executive. The narrative moves through mundane details, emotional truths, and existential questioning. Wow. The book structure the book is divided into nine quote unquote books. So those are like chapters, but mm-hmm. they're not they're bigger than chapters. It's like each person has their own book. Um, it says each book book focuses on a different genre of work. Oh, okay. So journalism, sanitation, office work, etc. Okay. A Goodreads review said stud Studs Turkle records the voices of America. Men and women from every walk of life. Uh, talk to him, telling him all of their likes and dislikes, fears, problems, and happiness on the job. Once again, Turkle has created a rich and unique document that is as simple as conversation, but as subtle and heartfelt as the meaning of our lives. In the first trade paperback edition of his national bestseller, Pulitzer Prize-winning author Studs Turkle presents the real American experience. That uh, was a quote from the Chicago Daily News. It was called A Magnificent Book, A Work of Art. Uh, To read it is to hear America talking. And that's from the Boston Globe. Wow. So how the book became a musical. All right. So um, I suck and like always forget, like when I get really excellent information from a book, I think most of this came from um, Stephen Schwartz's like autobiography that he wrote. Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, most of my information came from that. Stephen, I apologize. I, I don't. I didn't write down the title. It's I'll like, look it up right it now. It literally is about wi- like it's the title is like Wicked. Like it's about something from Wicked. Popular. No, it's like um, loathing. No. Um, it's not. It's not like gravity. So- <laughs> is that could it? Be. I think it is actually defying gravity. Yeah, I think that might be it. Or defying something. Let yeah. me. I'll look it up while you're talking. Okay. All right, so Working was a collective musical work dealing with the everyday life and achievements of working class people in America from various walks of life and occupations. Stephen it Schwartz, is Defying Gravity. It is, great. It's called Defying Gravity, colon, The Creative Career of Stephen Schwartz. Yeah. Yep, that's where I got most of this information. Oh, From Godspell to Wicked. That's the rest of the title. Okay. He's got long title books, too. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but mind you, like, I mean, that's only up to Wicked. And yeah. he's done, like, other stuff since then, so. Yeah. And he's still alive. Yeah. So chances and are. And he's only, like, 60s. I know. Yeah. So he could do a ton more. He'll be here for a while. Yeah, he will. I mean, look, I uh, John Kander is doing Beast in the Jungle, which I really want to see. Mm. Um which seems to be going quite well. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Stephen Schwartz opened up a flyer for the Book of the Month Club that came into his mail. (laughs) I mean, 
The 70s. 70s. You got everything by mail. Yeah. Hey, I remember when we were growing up, like the time that we were growing up, you'd get those flyers that would come in and you could like a penny per CD or a penny per book, whatever. But you would like take, you would rip the perforation and lick it and stamp it on the one that you wanted. And then you would mail that in. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know that one. I think it was like a book of the month club. Maybe. Or a CD. I, I think, I mean, it eventually turned into a CD, CD of, the of the month, month. club. So I okay, I'm vaguely remembering like like you could get cassettes in the mail. Mm-hmm. I'm vaguely remembering that. Remember when Broadway musicals would send you like DVD or CDs in the yeah. mail? Yeah, I loved that. Me too. That was my favorite. Time. Well, like at the time, that was online shopping. Why don't you guys send us like MP3s now? I'd like that, like I a little wanna... clip of. Please. That'd be well. Great. They kind of do. do what? I guess if I you feel have like Spotify. I, I come across stuff on Facebook, but it oh. might just be other people posting it. Yeah. I mean, it's available for okay. free. Okay. In most cases. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And so there was a promo for the book, Working People Talk About What They Do All Day and How They Feel About What They Do <laughs> by Studs Terkel. He read an excerpt of the book from which contained a quote from Heather, who was a telephone operator. She spoke about how nice it was for someone to ask her about her day while she was doing her job. Stephen became aware of the inherent theatricality of making otherwise anonymous workers into dramatic characters. <laughs> he confessed that he tended to be abusive to operators as they felt like a disembodied voice. Oh, wow. This moment reminded him that everyone has hopes, disappointments, dreams, and an entire life that he had never taken the time to think about. Wow, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot because that is really hard to remember sometimes. Yeah. Especially when you're like dealing with the telemarketers. Ugh. <sighs> Don't even. <sighs> and like, I, okay, so I'm an assistant to a CFO, and there'll be like um, debt collectors calling for whatever our office is behind in. And like, <laughs> I literally can't help them. Yeah. I'm like, listen. I can't help you. Yeah. I have no power. I just tell him where to go mm-hmm. and what to do, but like not. <laughs> so, but like, I can't help you. Yeah. I and will write down just, your I'll name. I'll write down your name. I'll transfer you to one of these other people in finance who are supposed to be dealing with this situation. I'm not your person. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they yell. And then I'm like, I don't get paid enough for this. Goodbye. You know what you say? I just Please don't call me again. Click. And then they have to put it in the file that they can't contact you by phone anymore. I don't know if that works. It does. For, for a huge they, business. There are still... Oh. No, you know I, I mean, think... Like, I mean, from when I was like a debt personal. collector... Okay. There, I mean, there were very strict rules that you had to follow by. There's still... A, you still can uh, connect to those people, contact those people by mail. Well, so here's the... Pro- so they... What they do is they call... This is boring, guys. I'm sorry. If you want to fast forward... <laughs> no, you no. Totally can. This is the show. <laughs> but, okay, so what they do is they call the main number. Mm-hmm. So, like, our receptionist gets it. She doesn't know what to do with it, so then she sends it to me because the people who are supposed to be answering Administrative assistant for the CFO. That makes right, perfect sense. Right, So she sends it to me, and then and then I'm like, so I transfer it to somebody who this is, like, their job mm-hmm. to deal with it. They never answer right. anything. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Probably because they know it's going to be a tech collector. <laughs> But it's also like, here's the thing, when it's a big business like that, it really doesn't matter whether they pay it or not. They'll get to it eventually, but it's not going to ruin anybody's credit. It's not going to send them, you know, the stock markets crashing down, you know what I mean? By them not paying an $800 bill. Right. I mean, these are always more than that. Oh, of course, because it's a huge business. Right. So dumb. It's not, it's my least favorite part. What we're saying is... Pay your bills. Pay, please, guys. Just set it up on automatic payment. I don't get paid for that. Right? Um, he purchased the book, and halfway through reading it, he decided to turn it into a musical. Halfway. He didn't even make it to he the end. I love finish. it. He said that what appealed to him was that these people would tell their stories. You'd hear their thoughts and feelings directly from them. Stephen flew to Chicago to get the rights from Turkle. Turkle said his enthusiasm and vision calmed his, his apprehension. 
A chorus line was a major inspiration for this musical as well, and later on, working would be referred to as the everyman's a chorus line. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> While he was getting the rights for and writing uh, working, he hoped that the show would reposition him and the theater community after the Baker's Wife failure. Okay. He had also been burned. Uh, he had been so he had been burned by the Baker's Wife and Pippin. Oh, Pippin was a, a failure. Well, it was how. It was in how it was handled, oh. like how it was produced. Okay. Um, that makes sense. So he tried to maintain as much control as possible. So it yeah. kind of made him a little bit of a control freak. Nina and Steven poured over the interviews in the book in her Upper West Side apartment. Their wor- <laughs> first workshop uh, was in a rented rehearsal space with 17 of their friends. Uh, some of the actors were Lynn Thigpen, Godspell's Ro- Robin Lamont, Gilmer McCormick, and Jeffrey Milet. Nina and Steven handed out monologues with copies of the book and asked their friends to tell them which monologues stood out the most to them. Steven organized outings for each actor to spend time with the person doing the job they were portraying. To complete his creative team, Steven reached out to Mickey Grant after he saw her musical Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Mickey contributed the song Cleaning Women when he realized during their tenure at the Goodman Theater that no domestic workers had been represented in the musical. After adding Mickey, Stephen then got commitments from James Taylor, Richard Rogers' daughter, Mary Rogers, who brought Susan Birkenhead along for the ride. After seeing Craig Carnelia perform at a cabaret, he decided to ask him to write a song for the retired man in Turkle's book. Joe's story was one of the first pieces written for the musical. So Joe is the retired man, if you could tell. (laughs) Stephen continued to dole out the characters to each songwriter based on their writing strengths and the ones uh, their form would resonate the best with. Stephen's biggest regret was that he didn't reach out to Billy Joel, who contacted him oh. and, said, and said he would have been interested in working on music for the piece. Oh, I was like, wow. Can you imagine? That might have been would, really dynamic. It would have been perfect. Yeah. Because, like, that's Billy Joel's music. Totally. Like, all, his music is always about, like... The working man. Yeah, the working man or, like... The every somebody, man. Every man, like, people who are kind of forgotten. Yeah. Or uh, just, like, perfect. Oh, perfect. man. That would have been really kind of neat. Yeah, it's really sad that didn't... I mean... Technically, it could still happen. That's true. They're both alive. Billy and working is always getting like that's true changed around and stuff. And it's never been a revival, right? So, so there you go. We could still have this happen. There you go, boys. I'm just saying. Just saying. Both of us are just saying. (laughs) Uh, Stephen agrees that Billy would have been the perfect addition to the writing team. But by the time he heard of Billy's interest, it was too late. I guess it was, like, really on its way. Yeah, sure. It was good speed. During the first workshops, Graciela Danielle helped choreograph dances from working world movements. Mm -hmm. For the song Millwork, Graciela and Steven went to a mill to see how the workers moved. To this day, Steven (laughs) says that what came out of that collaboration was one of his favorite things he's ever created. Cool. So the creative team for working Working the Musical... When I say it, I think I'm saying a sentence that's not correct. <laughs> yeah. But but I am. Okay, so the 1978 creative team. Book was by Stephen Schwartz and Nina Faso. Uh, music and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, Craig Carnelia. Carnelia. Carnelia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mickey Grant, Mary Rogers, and James Taylor. Additional lyric writers, Mickey Grant, Susan Birkenhead, and Spanish lyrics by Gracie- Graciela Danielle. And Matt Landers. The musical director was Stephen Reinhardt. Uh, Stephen Schwartz directed it himself. Wow. The associate director was Nina Faso. Dance and musical staging ended up being by Ona White. So Graciela did the staging while they were at good speed. And then she had like a um, scheduling conflict mm-hmm. and could not do well, the Broadway one. Well, she was the choreographer yeah, was to the get person. at that point. Yeah. So then Ona White stepped in. Okay. And then the costume design was by Marjorie Slayman. Stephen Short, correct me if I'm wrong, he's directed his own shows before. We've talked, I think we talked about it with Rags. It's possible. Because didn't he, uh, oh, I mean, you'll hear that episode, right. obviously. I think he took over directing for Rags, it might, too. It's, it's, it could be. Yeah. It could be. All right, so working gets on its feet. So this is like how it got to the Goodman. 
The musical was first staged at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, which is where the source material's author was born and raised, as well as where he did his interviews for the books. So it's like everybody's based out of Chicago that's in the book. After their success of Annie, they decided to take another leap of faith and co-produce working with Joseph Harris. Working ran at the Goodman Theater from December 1977 through February 1978. Oh. Um, That's a nice chunk of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good, good, good time to, like, work on it. Yeah. Like, he, he didn't do the pitfall of, like, not doing an out-of-town tryout. Chicago, tryout. I feel like, is the best yeah. place to do that yeah. because there's such a huge theater yeah. audience mm-hmm. and theater community to really be able to do that. Right. And I mean, the book was very well loved and it was sort of like this studs was sort of like, you know, one of their beacons. He Mm -hmm. was one of their, you know, famous people that, you know, was well loved. Sure. Um, Schwartz and Faso requested an additional out of town tryout and landed one at arena stage in Washington, DC. Now this is this, how all this breaks down is real sad. Oh. The artistic director of Arena Stage at the time, Zelda Fish Handler. <laughs> I might be butchering it. Zelda, if you're still alive, I'm sorry. <laughs> was a fan of the book and decided to squeeze it into their spring season. Okay. And I literally wrote the breakdown. Okay. <laughs> okay. So at the Goodman... The show had a running time of three hours and ten minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. In the 70s? Yeah. Wow. During previews. Stephen felt there was a lack of an emotional arc in the musical, so he tried to use the family of Fred Ringley, who in the book was a printing salesman, who drastically changed his life by moving to a rural Arkansas town with his family to develop farmland while running a mom and pop restaurant. Okay, so it's a true story, <laughs> but he tried to make that that the connecting the, piece okay. because it felt so disjointed mm-hmm. with like having everyone different tell their story. Yeah. Um cuz like that's that's the huge difference between working in a chorus line. A chorus line is ev- the the thread is they're in an audition. Right. And they're all dancers. So yeah. their occupation is exactly the same. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like everyone has a different occupation. I Everyone's feel like a different gender. If Everyone's they had, a different... Yeah. But if they had like maybe done it, the, we all work at the same building. Yeah. But he's the janitor and right. she's the, the administrative assistant or secretary. It would have been at that point right. in time. And he's the, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would have made... Okay. It would have. I'm I totally you. agree. I'm with you. I totally agree. <laughs> um. Puddle, lay down. Boy, come on, Down, buddy. buddy. Thank Pete. you. I will continue to pet you if you stay there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Stephen even went as far as to go there to Arkansas and spend a few days with uh, Ringley, Fred Ringley and his family. Wow. Every morning, Schwartz and Faso met for breakfast to fix the show and try to make it work. There were terrible fights between the members of the writing team. The cast would finish at midnight after having done a show that, that the night before, still being called in at 9 a.m. <gasps> to run new material at a nearby rehearsal Actress space. Actors' equity would have a fit if yeah. that happened today. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen today. No. On opening night, many of the people featured in Stud's book came to see the show, as well as family members of those who had since passed away. The creative team recalled Stud's being very happy to see how happy those from his book that were featured in the show responded to seeing their stories on the stage. That doesn't sound correct. No, it doesn't, but I get what you're saying. Stud's was happy that the people he had featured in his book were happy about the show. Yes. So, yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> I, what time of day did I write this? Ebony. <laughs> I think it's just because you used happy twice. Yeah. That's why it sounded awkward. So this is just a very awkward, horrible <laughs> sentence. I'm working sorry. people tell about what they like to do about working <laughs> where they work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy jeez. <laughs> Reviews stated that the show had some wonderful scenes, but with its length and plot line, it wasn't sure what it wanted to be. The lack of cohesion being the biggest obstacle and critics stating that Steven's family plot line wasn't working to bring it all together. So Mm. it didn't get the best reviews. Well, it's like vignettes. Right, right. 
Um, all right, so here's the Broadway story. So okay. producer Erwin, Erwin Meyer and Stephen R. Friedman had just purchased the 46th Street Theater on Broadway and were having a difficult time finding something to fill, it, fill in it for the 1977-1978 Broadway season. Okay. Meyer had been producing Working for Schwartz, and the season was looking bleak for possible Tony nominees. So, like, yeah, late 70s. They were like, it doesn't really matter who we're getting in here, just... <laughs> Yeah, I and know can, a show. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys know, like, we've done a lot of shows from the 70s and 80s. It was not a great time. No. Maybe one a season. Yeah. And, also, I mean, the New York City was, like, near bankruptcy. Like, you, nobody you wanted to You couldn't get people to come out either because no. it was a cesspool. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't have the tourists no. that you do now. You get mugged. It was just, like, it was It was rough. not a pretty place. It was not a good time. Um. So Meyer had been... Uh, Okay, he was producing. Meyer thought he could bring in working and the show would run for years. <laughs> Schwartz felt that it was rushing the show to bring it right from Chicago and then directly to Broadway. Yeah. What was he wanting to do? Like another out of town or did well, he want to do off Broadway? Well, he wanted to bring it to arena stage. Oh, oh, so this oh, is like oh, interception. they never made it to arena. So that, like this is where I'll get into like what happened. It's really upsetting because yeah. um, arena stage just sort of like moved around their season yeah. to fit working in because Zelda really believed in the show. Yeah. And Steven was like, she's so freaking smart that like whatever troubles we're having, like she's really going to be excellent at helping us like beat those Iron out. out. Yeah. yeah. So he really wanted to do the second tryout. And like, this is what we have said repeatedly. Like Steven's excellent because he's at least like, it's not working. I want to fix it before I bring it someplace. And, yeah. You know, he wants to. He, and his gut was correct. Yeah, he's he totally just right. didn't follow his gut. Well, he tried, but then it's like when the producer is so pushing you, you're just like, you know, and so it's really. Oh, man, it's so frustrating. It really is. Um, so, yeah, so Steven felt like it was rushing the show um, as he and the team would only have rehearsals and previews to complete the rewrites. So he was not what he wanted. No, he's not what he wanted. Um, in 2008, Stephen said, I believe that their drive to open working was based on a more commercial motive, mm -hmm. qualifying for the year's Tony Awards. Oh. It's one of the reasons that I feel the Tonys are so destructive yes. to Broadway because it's the tail wagging the dog. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I feel like the Tonys can just be a celebration yeah. of the theater and it doesn't have to necessarily be... Like this be all end all. This is, you know, the only the only thing that will keep your show running is if you win. Yeah. Let's throw uh, all of our money into this production that we're going to put on at the Tony Awards in hopes that. And then you have all of these close shows closing. Right. I, I would say like what I would love is if there was some sort of showcase. Yeah. Like a huge television showcase because I'm. I love the Tony Awards, so I still think we should have some sort of accolades. I mean, like, movies get the Oscars. Like, why shouldn't mm -hmm. our people have the Tonys? Yeah. But I think if there was some sort of showcase, like, in the middle or some place to where people weren't constantly just, like, pushing to make sure that everything opened by the award season so that, like, things get in theaters that are not ready, mm -hmm. I feel like some kind of, like, television showcase, something to where... You could really, um, you could show audiences who don't live here in New York City, like yeah. what there is on Broadway. That would kind of buffer a lot of this like problem. Like a televising, like Bryant Park, Broadway yeah. and Bryant Park. Yeah, Broadway and Bryant Park. Where you're Park. not seeing the whole show. You're just seeing, here's right. the best song of whatever it is. Right. Yeah, like, I like I, that idea. I feel like something like that would just kind of like temper this like not so drive to like push everything to happen like by april 28th yeah or whatever the deadline usually is and then like things come in that could have been better mm -hmm. <sighs> agreed so box rant okay so <laughs> the push to move working to broadway forced them to renege on the rights for arena stage to do it in their season so this is what i was talking about okay. it also meant that graciella danielle couldn't go with the show as she had made a commitment mm -hmm. right so that's when Ona came in. 
Now, the thing was, while Ona was a well-seasoned choreographer, she was a classic choreographer and okay. didn't really grasp the approach of the creative team. So it's just like when Steven and Graciela like went to the places where yeah. people worked well, and like I studied their movements. I don't understand why they had to change so much. Or was it just that she was adding in to the to the bits that were being changed? So it's from what I've read, it just sounds like the problem is like, right, you're restaging a thing for Broadway. Mm-hmm. And if you are not somebody who gets the the innate yeah. concept of what is happening, then you just do what you know, which mm-hmm. is like classic dance moves, yeah. right? And when what you're actually trying to do is something I would say is like kind of more in the vein of a Gene Kelly type thing because everyone loved him because he he's, he was like a blue collar he's dancer. just a mover he was like yeah he like he just he, he makes was like it look low to the ground yes. and just like this powerful kind of could tell would like tell a story with his body absolutely and then like Fred Astaire was like kind of upper more like mm-hmm. high society. he you had know, technique so, right yeah. and so I think that. I think that what this show needed was like a more Gene Kelly yeah. kind of like blue collar get in. I love Gene Kelly you oh. know, so deeply. I can't even tell you. Oh, I mean, I was just, as you said <laughs> that I was going through all of his dances yes. in my mind. He's wonderful. Yeah. I yeah. Because you're right. His, his approach yeah. is to tell the story first. Yeah. And you and I have talked about that. Yeah. The story is the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. And like, like Pixar, they're, Pixar movies are glorious. And Mm -hmm. the reason why they're so good is because their motto inside when they are making these films is story is king. Yeah. Another soapbox, you guys. Okay, so... (laughs) um, The number of characters... Okay, so let's see. Right. Ona, (laughs) classic choreographer, really grasp. Okay. Um, It's like... I liken it to actually like Andy Blankenmuller when he came in to yeah. do In the Heights. He yeah. changed up the whole idea of choreography yeah. to to such a like not even 180 degrees, but like 97.6 degrees. <laughs> it was like it was just enough different, but yeah. just enough still recognizable. Right. But he just changed the whole the whole approach to to Broadway choreography yeah. and I feel like that's kind of what you're saying about Graciela Danielle yeah, what she was trying to do in this particular working. show yeah because yeah. like my one of my f- friends and I have talked about like Hamilton and how you watch it and it's like no move is wasted there's no mm-hmm. they don't need you don't need a stage crew right because the way Andy has choreographed it and like um the way he and the director have like pieced it all together. It's like every dance, the dance move is like a chair is lifted and like, that's how you get it <laughs> off stage. But it's like the but most beautiful, gorgeous yeah. move you've ever seen. Right. <laughs> but like, so you don't need stage crew to come in on in, in black and like kind of disrupt, mm-hmm. which it, it would be so disruptive because like yeah. the way that show is, is well, yeah, you don't need a break. Right. You need, that's what you need. You never want to lose the rhythm of right. the show. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, all right, so uh, what they did, they did continue to do rewrites so that the number of characters had been whittled down to 39. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and these were all featured characters? 39 featured characters? I, that, yeah. Did, they, like, everyone had a solo? No, everyone... There's not 39 songs in the cast recording. Okay. But like everyone had maybe a monologue. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a, and and mind you, whittled it down too. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I would see 39 characters as being three and a half hours. Yeah. So, I mean, they must have like. It must. I mean, yeah. It must move pretty quickly yeah. if you're going to have 39 and you've cut it and that's cutting it down from three and a half hours. Yeah. So now you're probably at like two and a half. 245 something like that maybe wow but i'm still like 39 is a lot now mind you obviously people played multiple parts yes um uh yeah so it was played by 17 actors you had 39 okay Okay. 39 parts but yes i got you everyone thought that the show was going to be a hit the audiences gave standing ovations every night and the song it's an art stopped the show regularly so yeah you know it's an art is when the waitress does her Yes. And I I do love that song. I do too. <laughs> it's or, really the only song I know no. I 
Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. But I've been listening to the, oh, have the newer cast recording. I listened to the old one. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, uh, in prep for this, I was like listening to the new one too a few times. Ooh, and at the end of this, I have a fun thing. Okay. <laughs> I just remembered it. Um, Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, so Erwin Meyer said, We knew if we stopped after months of rehearsals as well as the Chicago production. So this is his side of the story. We would lose momentum, uh, the cast, and the creative energy that made working what it was. To sit around for another year would have been a much worse decision than mm. going to Broadway. So that's what he thats what he felt. Okay. Meanwhile, this rush was for Stephen Schwartz, one of the biggest regrets of his life. Like, mm. like still, you can Because now you'll never know if you had waited a right. year if it, you know, if it would have fizzled out like Erwin thought. Right. I, I mean... I tend to side with Steven because so many shows have they've worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and spent years and years and years working on the thing to make it as good as it could possibly be. And then they put it on Broadway and then it's a huge hit. Right. So I. I don't think it would have lost its momentum. And honestly, it's something that if even if you had lost Everybody that had worked on it at the time, you still have the template. Yeah. And then you would find more people to be right. excited about it when the time was right. Right, right. So I'm with you. I think I agree with, with Stephen Schwartz on this as yeah. well. Yeah. I wish that he'd kind of stuck to his guns. That's too bad that he was peer it's, pressured. I think. Peer pressure, man. I know. Well, and two, I mean, listen, like he, he, yeah, like it's not, Stephen wasn't the producer. He wrote it. And so like, you have to go with the guy who has the money. He's. Yeah pulling the purse strings and you're like and he's like and i have an open theater so you're kind of like i don't know what to you know do it's rough um as previews continually were pushed to extend by the creative team and the critics got more restless and the producers weren't making money the show was moved to open before the team felt it was ready opening night was may 14th 1978 stephen schwartz told his wife carol I mean, they've been married for 150 years. It's the best. <laughs> but he was, like, in the car. It was raining. Like, the way he sets it up in the book, it was it was raining. He was in the car. And, you know, like, we know the backstory where he, the baker's wife and Pippin just, like, really hurt him. Mm-hmm. You know, so here, this is, like, the next show after that. And he's in the car with his wife and his little tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to his wife, this is going to change our lives in one way or another. If this works, that'll be one path. And if it doesn't work, I'm through. Which we well, know I'm is glad not true. he wasn't. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that he didn't follow through with that. Because that would have just thought, been a... I think he thought he would be through. Like, nobody oh, like would nobody would trust him yeah. anymore. Yeah. Like, he would still be creating stuff, but right. no one would actively yeah. pursue it. Okay. I mean, because no, he mean, was just so young when he got... It was listen, like, that's a real fear for everybody in right. the artistic yeah, community. The yeah. All the time. There's yeah. such an insecurity. Even if you have had success after success after success, right. a la Stephen Sondheim and, and Hal Prince, yeah. you're one decision away from a flop yeah. or from people turning their backs on you. Yeah. Yep. It's scary. Um, it's bad business. It's rough. <laughs> reviews for that evening were mixed. The Saturday review said that working was an intelligent musical but lacked tension and dynamics. Yeah. That's what they said too. Yeah. Yeah. Schwartz always felt that doing the show at Arena Stages was an indispensable missed opportunity. <sighs> he felt that Zelda would have helped them shepherd the show because of her intelligence and adoration for the show. He felt working with her would have helped the show be much better before it got to Broadway. <laughs> it's just so sad. That is sad. So sad. Um, but on the other hand, it could not. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there's a po- you just don't know. You I don't mean, know. regret is a very real thing, and I'm right. not taking anything away from his feelings. But it's like, who knows right. what might have happened? The audiences in Chicago loved the show as right. it was. Right, right. So... 
<laughs> who's to say? It sounds like the audiences in New York did too, but what mm-hmm. used to happen then was like, if the critics would tell you you're not supposed to like it, then people oh, wouldn't. Oh, that is very true. It, it we didn't have a little bit now. Blog right. artists and... And people just being, people not reading the newspaper. Right. Well, that's very true. So I can't remember the last review I read for reading the review and not for this show. <laughs> I uh, I get Broadway briefing. So that's how I, I, they give you like at the bottom, you can click on the reviews mm-hmm. for whatever opened. Sure. Um, all right. I'll give you the cast and then like a little synopsis of working. Cool. So the 78 cast, Susan Bigelow, uh, Stephen... Bukvor, <laughs> Rex Everhart, Arnie Freeman, Bob Gunton, David Patrick Kelly, Robin Lamont, Matt Landers, Bobo Lewis, Patty Lapone, <laughs> Joe Mantegna, Matthew McGarth, Le- uh, Lenora Nemitz, David Langston Smurl, Brad Sullivan, Lake Thigpen, Lynn Thigpen, and Terry Trees. All right. All right. So a brief synopsis. And these were all people that he had worked with in previous productions. Most of them were. Okay. um, Baker's Wife, Pippin. Godspell? Yeah. Godspell. I don't know what. I know he, like, Lynn was his friend. So he'd worked with her in something Mm -hmm. else. But now I don't remember exactly what it was. Was Magic Show written at that point? No, that came later. To look it I up. think that was in the 80s. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. I'm mentioning all these. You know what? I keep interrupting you. Please just continue <laughs> your story. But this is just a synopsis of the show. Huddle. Read down, buddy. Down. Good boy. Okay, so Act One. In the morning, all the workers are getting ready. This is all from Wikipedia, you guys. What this part is. <laughs> <clears throat> but like everything else is from Steven's book. Um, in the morning, all the workers are getting ready for their jobs. And so that's the opening song, All the Live Long Day. Mike Dillard, a steel worker, talks about the dangers of his job. Some people get caught in traffic jam which on the highway, which is another song. <laughs> Some of the cars stop at an office building where Al Kalinda, a parking lot attendant, is working. So that's another one. He parks the cars and states that he's been parking cars his whole life and probably will for the rest of his life. And that song is Love and Owl, which we talked about. Um, on the top of the Love and Owl, that, was that the one James Taylor did? I don't know. I can't remember what I said. Um, on top I of think the, so. That you said that was I the said. parking attendant song, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That was James Taylor. Um, on the top of the parking lot, there's an office building. Amanda McKenney is displeased that people stereotype her with her job. She has a strained relationship with her boss. Rex Winship, who tells us he wants to be a teacher. Rose Hoffman, a teacher who has one year left until retirement, is unhappy with the changes she sees in the school system. Um, And that's a song, Nobody Tells Me How. She remembers a student of hers. uh, So it does kind of like. Yeah. It's like, it reminds me of Sesame Street. Yes. (laughs) You go through a window, and there's this person, and then. and then you go on to the stairs, and hello, it's a new person. Yeah, it does exactly. Really much, it does feel like and that. And that's very 70s. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, it's funny you say Sesame Street, because somebody who works worked on Sesame Street ends up in, like, the next part. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, nobody tells me. She remembers, uh, so that's her student. She remembers a student of hers, Babe who is now a checker at the Treasure Island supermarket. Babe explains that her job requires work from every part of the body. I'm just moving is her song. Her bag boy, Roberto Nunez, is unhappy with the music that is playing in the market, which is the Cuban Revolution celebratory song, along with the hardships of working on a farm and hopes a better day will come. Oh, no. So that's a Spanish song that I'm not going to butcher. (laughs) In the neighborhood, Conrad Swibble is on his UPS delivery route talking about the perks of his job, meeting women, and the bad parts, getting chased by dogs. (laughs) (laughs) After he leaves, John Rushton delivers the newspaper and tells of his dreams for the future, and that song is Neat to be a Newsboy. Um, So there were some children, Mm -hmm. like, kid parts in here cool 
His mother, Kate Rushton, a housewife, who complains that people doubt her intelligence because she chooses to stay at home all day. And that song is just a housewife. That's a great song. That's too. the song. Yeah, I know that song That's too. A great song. Yeah. Candy Cottingham says that she needs to separate from people, uh, separate people from their jobs for her job as a political fundraiser. Grace Clements explains that she does not want to see any young people doing her job as a mill worker because of the physical stress on the body. And that song is mill work. As I think he, James, did that one too. Okay. Yeah. Yes, he did. As evening rolls in, all the workers remember their dreams of old. And that song is If I Could Have Been. Act two. Anthony. <laughs> that was just act Yeah, that was just act one. <laughs> okay. But that's actually not a bad it's synopsis. It's not. It just seems like there because was a lot so in people. there. Yeah. There's 39 people. You guys. You guys. 39, 39 characters. characters. Okay. Act two. <laughs> Anthony Coella uh, likes his job because in 100 years, people will still see his work. And that song is The Mason. Mason. On the highway, Frank Decker and Dave are driving their truck, and that song is Brother Truck. Frank explains that he barely sees his family because of his schedule. He makes a call, and because of the signal, uh, it's transferred to the operator, <laughs> and then you get Heather Lamb, the operator. Okay. Um, she and Sharon Atkins and Enid Du Bois explain that sometimes it's hard not to listen in on phone conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dolores Dante loves her job and is proud to be a waitress. And that's the song, It's an Art. At the park, Joe Zuddy, a retired man, talks about his life. And that song is Joe. He spends his days as a volunteer firefighter. Tom Patrick, who also works as a firefighter, gets emotional talking about the lives he's, he's saved. Maggie Holmes talks about wanting a better life for her daughter and cleaning women, which is also like a huge song people love. It's like mm. one of the showstoppers. Finally, Ralph Werner recounts his dream life. Mike Dillard comes back and relates how much time he has missed with his family because of work and that song, Fathers and Sons. And that's a beautiful song. Oh, that's song another, song. yeah. It's a great song. That is a great song. The ensemble boasts about their accomplishments as workers and the song is something to point to. Okay, so as most people know... Uh, I'll tell you about the closing, and then we'll talk about what happened in 2012. Um, previews began on May 5th, 1978. The musical opened May 14th, 1978 at the 46th Street Theater, which is now the Richard Rogers. Oh. And there's a tie. to The same person ties to the Richard Rogers and Sesame Street. <laughs> um, and it clo uh, So that was... It moved after 12 previews. The show closed on... Broadway on June 4th, 1978, after tw 24 total performances on Broadway. Okay. Two weeks le later, the best little whorehouse in Texas opened and ran for three years. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the first LP release was in July 20, was July 25th, 1978. Working was nominated for six Tony Awards and six Drama Desk Awards, winning two Drama Desks for Stephen Schwartz's direction and Bobo wow. Lewis as featured role. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so this is the 2012 Off-Broadway Revival. <laughs> so um, first it was at the a Solo Repertory Company in Florida. They did a developmental production of the new version. Uh, wait. That can't be right. <laughs> oh, oh, I should have started with this. Sorry. That's okay. Yep, Sorry. Uh, there were additional developmental productions at the Old Globe in San Diego and the Broadway Playhouse in Chicago. In February 2011, before it came to the Prospect Theater Company in New York City, in December of 2012, the new orchestrations were done by Alex Lacamoire, <laughs> chore tied to the Richard Rogers, um, and choreography was by Josh Rhodes from the Drowsy Chaperone. Okay. Gordon Greenberg directed this production. So this is the 2012 revival. Nice. After, uh, it's, it only did one month run at the Prospect Theater Company. Mm -hmm. Working went to the West End for a month at the South Work Playhouse in London in the cool. summer of 2017. And then the a solo rep company, that was May of 2018. Okay. Um, the shows had a strong community theater and regional. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and like I said, it's one of Stephen's favorite musicals. It's that and Children of Eden for him. I love Children of Eden. <laughs> he said, as to working and Children of Eden, it's hard for me to put my finger on why they are my favorites. I think it has to do with how closely the underlying content mirrors my own feelings and philosophy. Mm. But I know I don't seem to get tired of seeing them. So, um, so when working was, I mean, not... Broadway revived, but like came back to off Broadway. Uh, they had he had some people add new songs, and uh, one of them was Lin Manuel Miranda. Mm. So if you guys go on Spotify, you can listen to the original working cast recording, and you can listen to the new uh, working cast recording, which is the London cast. Okay, and you can hear. Lynn's songs and I'm telling you as soon as you play them oh yeah hear his voice he well and he does the same like musical interval yeah. in every song he's ever written yeah 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 <laughs> it's like it's like Tim Burton like I I I've decided that whenever he like starts making films it will say just like when it says Tim Burton or just like when you see Julie Taymor it'll yeah. be like from the mind of Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> like that's what it's gonna yeah that's what's gonna happen um so, fun little bit. Mm. Uh, it's supposed to be sometime this summer. I don't know if it's been announced yet. Let me let me check. If you want to see a live production um, that has some of the original... Is it? Does it have some of the original? The cast isn't. <laughs> let me see. Let me see. Okay, the cast has not been announced yet. But um, if you want to hear the songs live, 54 Below is doing 54 Sings Working on August 12th, 2018. Cool. And Stephen Schwartz will be hosting. Nice. <laughs> That's really cool. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, but this is going to be, this is not the original 78 one. This is like the 2012 production with the new songs by Lynn. Okay. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's like nice. really fun. It's just, I like it. It's a nice little nugget of a musical. <laughs> I haven't listened to it since I was living in my house in Bloomington, Illinois. And it's the, I mean, I have the original cast. I think I still have it. It's still in my <laughs> iTunes library somewhere. But I haven't listened to it since then. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. Yeah. Because I'm very old. <laughs> no, we're not. I've decided 2018. I'm not saying that anymore. Okay. I like that. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem. Like, here's the, the, because I am old. But, You're only one year older than me. But you can't I don't, say these things. I don't look it. And so, and I don't act it. It's so amazing to me that, like, when I was a kid, yeah. the number that I am yeah. was so old. And so even, like, even now, I'm like, I am so old. But I'm not. No. It's weird. It's a weird. I, I will say, too, though, that, like, our age now mm -hmm. is a lot different than our age was when we were kids. That's very true. You know, like, people nowadays, like, they have kids so much later. Mm -hmm. They get married so much later. That's true. Like health, eating, mm -hmm. just like so many things we can take into account to where like we don't, you know, we don't look like what we think our when we were kids, what our age actually did look like for yeah. most people. That's very true. I mean, I remember meeting my grandmother who's now passed, but like at the time that I first met her, she must have only been in her 60s, yeah. but I felt like she must have been 100. <laughs> she, like it's, but yeah. my parents now are in their mid to late 60s, yeah. and I certainly don't think of them right. as being in their in their 60s. Right. It's, it's a strange little conundrum, but I yeah. think you might be right. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of, it's just, so, it's of awareness now. Yeah. yeah and it, it just really is different because, and also, we don't we don't follow along those prescribed lines anymore. No. no. At all. No. We break the rule the societal rules constantly right. now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I'm breaking free. It's a whole it's a new day, you guys. I have to break free. No, I want to. I want to break free. <laughs> <laughs> I want to break free from your lies, your soul. Oh, 
poor Freddie Mercury is spinning in his grave right now listening to my rendition of I Want to Break Free. I want, I want to, I'm going to go see that Queen movie. I don't care what I anyone says. love Queen. Yeah, me too. They have not written a song. Well, I was going to say they have not written a song that I do not absolutely love. Mm. There are a couple of songs that yeah. I'm like, uh, I'll listen to it if I'm not close by the, yeah. the button that I can push to switch. Right. But sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't really want to listen to this, so I'm going to skip it. <laughs> but only because really they've been overdone so much. But right. every time Bohemian Rhapsody you comes know. on, the, I will stop what I am doing. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? Sometimes it comes up in my, in my Pandora playlist when I'm grooming dogs and I'm literally singing the entirety of Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> to whatever dog is on the table with me at that moment. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I just love that. It, Queen is they, they're... Freddie Mercury was... <laughs> I can't. Like, he's so... The talent mm-hmm. and the mind and the fact that he grew up where he grew up and was was raised in this kind of society that would never have allowed any a man to be creative at all mm-hmm. and the fact that he turned into what he ultimately was mm-hmm. happy pride month everybody <laughs> <laughs> anyway i love freddie mercury yeah. i'm 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 i Same. can't put a full sentence together because he, I have a talent crush on Freddie Mercury, awesome. teeth and all, man. I don't care what, I and don't I am not, I am not a fan of mustaches like his. No, and yet, I still have a talent I don't crush. Like mass, Ugh, I don't either. Okay, but fun facial hair. Have you seen that Jimmy <laughs> Fallon goatee little no. video? Oh it's yes, adorable. <laughs> Two goats in a boat. <laughs> so good. It's the silliest, best thing it's ever. So dumb. I love it. It's like what me and my friends would have done yeah. in high school. Yeah. yeah. But they're grown with children. Grown men in a kayak together. <laughs> Where is that on the Hudson River? Maybe yeah, I, don't I don't even know. know. It's so funny. I love the crap out of that. Thing. Two goats in a boat. <laughs> talking about you're gonna need to check out jimmy yeah. fallon's insta google you're gonna need to it's on two YouTube. goats in a boat my oh, friend probably. sent it to me on insta but it's probably i saw on it on facebook but you can mm-hmm. most probably find it YouTube. anywhere just google it and and it ties in because lynn we talked about lynn today and yeah. he's in it and it's like mad fun it's, it's about so singing and about goatees really and about creativity and just being free to express yourself In a stupid way. Yeah. But it brings a lot of people joy. Absolutely. (laughs) That, I mean, that really is the purpose of art. To bring, to bring people joy. To bring people joy. brings people joy, but also makes makes them think. think, Yeah. Maybe I should have a goatee for summer. No, don't do that. (laughs) It would take me a while to grow it. Just one, I've got one mole that sprouts like three or four hairs. Mm -mm, Don't do it. So I would let that grow out. And then my mustache. It's mostly peach fuzz, but every once in a while there's one, like, really coarse hair that comes through. This is what we talk about. You know what? I'm not ashamed (laughs) because I'm an old lady. And the older I get, actually, I will say the older I get, the more I look at myself, like, with pride. That's good. I know. I love it. (laughs) Because I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like, I look so much better than I ever did in my 20s. And I feel so much better about myself than I ever did in my twenties. I've heard, I've heard that that's, I've heard that that's true for people. Once you turn thirty, when I was turning thirty, I was like, "Listen, it's I cried when I turned here. thirteen. No, 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 no. You no. cried when you were thirteen? Oh, yeah, I sobbed like a baby when I turned thirteen. L- listen, because you listen, were a teenager, you weren't a kid I'm anymore. A drama queen. <laughs> Born a drama queen, will die a drama queen. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. I've accepted it. If you can't <laughs> deal with it, we can't be friends. So, I, I, when people were talking about like, oh, when you turn thirty, thirty's the best. It's like the greatest birthday. I was like, you guys. <laughs> I cried when I turned thirteen. I'm not super hopeful. Thirty was fine. Yeah. I can't say that like it was as glorious as everyone like swore no. up and down it was going to be. It was fine. Yeah. 
Okay, so now that we've talked about all the things, thanks know, for listening, that was friends. A lot. We hey, appreciate you. Welcome back. Well, you're. This is going to be like the third episode you hear once we get back, because I'll <laughs> I'll post an intermission sode and then rags and then another intermission sode. Maybe I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.